welcome to the Big Smoke Podcast, a monthly Patreon-exclusive show that focuses on new films as they're released to the theater, streaming, VOD, or straight-to-disc. I'm the head writer of ThePinkSmoke.com and your host, John Cribbs. We're now in the third month of the show. Thanks to our amazing Patreon subscribers. Thank you all so much for your continued support. We believe writers should be fairly compensated for their contributions to our site, which is why our Patreon exists. Uh, in return for your generosity, we hope to offer you fun episodes with excellent guests. My excellent guest today is avid plant collector, professional software engineer, amateur writer and musician, mediocre knitter slash expert crochet, and science fiction enthusiast, Amanda Gilbert. Amanda, how you doing? I am doing well. Thank you, John. It's great to be here. Thank you so much for agreeing to talk with us about uh, Alex Garland's new adaptation of the uh, the exalted uh, Jeff Vandermeer book, Annihilation, which is- I don't think you could have kept me away from it. You know, I've been looking forward to talking about this this movie since I saw it with uh, virtually any, I would have stopped people on the street to shake them by the collar and say, have you seen it yet? (laughs) Is it just because of the, your extreme enthusiasm for the books that you were eager to get people to see the movie? Uh, absolutely. Yeah. No, I was, I was nuts about the books. Uh, I followed, um, the movie kind of weird release issues and, you know, hunted down tickets. I didn't end up seeing it, uh, the day it came out because I have a kid and a life as well. And, you know, we didn't get around to seeing it until a week later, but the, the theater was packed when I was in there. I was very interested, to see the reception of such a strange, eerie, uh, unsettling series um, and how it would be made into a movie. So I was really looking forward to it. Well, let me ask you at first, because the reason that I thought you would be uh, a good person to talk to about this film is that I know that you have, uh, you've read all three books, you've, uh, you follow them all very closely. And I was just kind of curious, having not read the books myself, what the, different receptions to the film would be reactions to the film would be from someone who knew the Vandermeer uh, work and who didn't. So let me just ask you first, when did you first read, come upon these books? Um, you know, I actually didn't know anything about them when I first read them. Uh, they were on the free audiobook section, like ele- electronic audiobook section at my library and they didn't have a wait list and nearly every audiobook at my library has a wait list. I was like, well, nobody wants to listen to them. I'll give them a try. This is usually a failure on my part. And I return most of these audiobooks after 20 minutes. But uh, the Vandermeer audiobooks, and by the way, I do encourage you to listen to the audiobook performances uh, rather than reading the book if you have the option, because the writing is beautiful. I mean, it is lyrical it without being um flowery no pun intended it is it is it's just like a writer at the top of their craft um and you know i i think and read a lot about writing and i feel like an audiobook really sets out the the best qualities of writing or makes it clear that when a book is is quite poorly written anyway so i, I just grabbed annihilation and I was hooked. It was one of those books where I was sitting in the driveway after work, uh, being unwilling to come into the house until I got to the end of the chapter. You know, it was so engaging. 
Um, and, you know, part of that is, is the characterization, part of it's the setting. I don't know how much you want me to go into on, on the details of it, but it, it's, it's following kind of a trend of the improvement of writing quality in sci-fi, uh, which is not sci-fi has in the last century. It's not something it's been known for, you know. Right. Mm -hmm. Nobody reads Asimov for the for the lyrical quality of his prose or his, you know, the strength of his characters. When would you say that kind of trend kind of started with uh, more lyrical prose in science fiction? You know, I think it, I think it started with, um, started but went unnoticed with some of the, the women greats of science fiction, the Octavia Butler, yeah. Ursula K. Le Guin, um, and of course Bradbury was... <sighs> wrote prose that, uh, I don't know, you could decorate a wedding with it. I mean, it was, <laughs> it was the most beautiful prose I'd ever read. Um, but until I would say, you know, late eighties, early nineties was when you had these women writing these amazing things, even back in the seventies too. And, and then there's just been this incredible, um, resurgence of interest in, you know, you've kind of exhausted a lot of the space opera ideas and the futurism ideas and what if Hitler had won alternate histories and um, maybe we could pay some attention to characters and setting and, and plot and the other things that go into making a great novel. So with the Vandermeer books, do you feel like he kind of took the tropes, sort of just kind of set them aside and had, you know, yeah, there's a meteor and there's an alien uh, uh, oh, those happening. Are, yeah. Yeah. That's irrelevant. That, uh -huh. I mean, what he does is it's almost like a hold my beer kind of moment where he's like, let me take this unremarkable office park near some East Texas swamp and then really scare you like in a, in a deeply unsettling kind of way. I, I will say that like one of the people that I convinced to read this book had to cancel on a hike after he finished Annihilation because he was not willing to walk into the woods oh, wow. so soon after reading it. And not even down in South Florida, I'm guessing, but just some... No, no, no. Yeah, just, just, <laughs> just out in, you know, random Virginia woods, the most, you know, mundane, lovely sort of hobbit-like woods you could imagine. You know, these, these are not <laughs> cypress swamps. Um, but yeah, no, the, the prose is is remarkable the characterization is remarkable and the, and they're yeah they're appealing without necessarily being likable that's the main thing i wanted to ask i was curious about after seeing the movie because there was such an emphasis on the human emotions and the background of the characters being kind of parallel to <clears throat> the seismic event that's happening uh so the, that's kind of in, in keeping with the books where he kind of is more interested <sighs> in the characters because I know in the in the book, one thing that's different is that they all have none of them have names, right? In any, I should mention, I guess, that this is a series of three books. I think they all came out pretty close together, right? The they did. Southern they Witch did. Reach trilogy, uh, yeah. so he might have written them all as one big piece and then kind of separated them all into separate things. But that the movie is adapting the first one, Annihilation, and not the second. Uh, yeah, and and it, well, it claims to be, but in some ways, um, he adapts the beginning of Annihilation and then skips the real meat of it 
which is, you know, hundreds and hundreds of pages through acceptance or through uh, authority and then acceptance, and then kind of wraps it up uh, with a little bit of a, uh, an ending that's, that has a certain amount of satisfying quality to it, but really has nothing in common with the books. Um, so one of the things is that there is a lighthouse in the trilogy it's not used in the same way that it is in the movie uh in the movie he is trying to recreate the feeling of the tower um which and the tower the other three unnamed characters who are the anthropologist the surveyor and the psychologist immediately in the first chapter come across something that three of them call a tunnel and the biologist calls a tower it's ground level it's goes down into the ground and i i sort of wanted to walk a fine line between doing any preparation for this and just sort of refreshing my memory on this so i only read a few pages of the first chapter there are no spoilers the biologist gives you all of this interesting information right up front in the first chapter the fact that she is colonized by this uh, sort of alien DNA is in the first few pages. You know, everything um, is right up there. He's not, he's not really trying to create spoilers in the, the way that the movie does mm-hmm. uh, with its reveals. So he's pretty um, upfront about everything that's going on. Yes, he is and he isn't. Seriously. Yeah, no, he has these, he'll have these big reveals like right at the beginning of the second book and you're like, okay, um, all right. I I don't understand why you kept that secret and it just kind of rolls around in your head uh, for quite a while. But, um, all right, remind me of what the question was. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. I guess, I have a, no, I, guess, I have a tendency I guess, to talk, you know, had, ad yeah, infinitum. I asked a question and then immediately knocked this off, of course. <laughs> so I apologize for that. Um, of course. Guess, uh, so in the, in, the, in the movie, the biologist is the Natalie Portman character. Yes. Um, who has a name which is not in front of me for some reason. It's Lena. And, you know, I, I, I differentiate so heavily between... Oh, yeah, okay, so... Why is Lena kind of this uh, flawed character with these, you know, strange scenes of adultery and, you know, these scenes with her husband? She's very, she seems to be very solitary and reserved. At kind of a shallow level, some of this rings true with the biologist. And I'll just refer to the book as the biologist. I don't remember if she ever has a name. It's not important. They say it's important to the mission. She says it's important to the mission right up front that they not refer to each other by name. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it serves a great purpose in the book. I'm not sure I've discerned what that is yet, but you can feel that it makes some difference to the way the story unfolds. But yeah, that the biologist of the book is is really not a lot like the Natalie Portman character. And I don't, that's not because of Portman. That's the way that Lena is written. Um, Portman did a great job that I could see with what she had to work with on Lena. But some of her characterization doesn't make sense in the context of the book. Mm, Um, 
the biologist establishment at the beginning of the movie of where she's at in her life how her husband has is missing has gone off on a yes. mission that uh she is completely withdrawn from society that she goes to work and then goes immediately back home to paint her house uh, yes and then her husband shows up again and kind of kicks yep. off this whole mystery of like where was he you know what's wrong with him what's going on yeah and all, all of that is at sort of a high level that is all true if you know, what you were doing was just making a movie based on what you could recall of the book, which, as I understand it, is what Garland did, is that he did, deliberately did not reread the series. I've heard so, the words tonal adaptation in terms of it, and that he wasn't trying to literally transcribe the pages, but more to yes. kind of reflect his feelings of the book or his experience. Absolutely, it. yeah. No, I think it's, it's actually, uh, that's part of what I like about this, uh, is that in comparing and talking with people, uh, that, that's kind of why I didn't go back and reread the entire series in a couple days, is that I wanted to base my chat with you off of, uh, you know, my tonal remembrance of what came out of it. And, you know, I, was, I did get my spouse to read it, and you know, in remembering, I remember he told me at one point, he was like, the biologist is very much like you. And I was like, oh, oh, heck yeah. You know, the biologist and, and myself have a lot in common. Um, you know, it's not often you find a main character who's interested in transitional ecologies. So of course I'm like, yes, this is amazing. You know, <laughs> uh, there's, there's like one main character in the world who's interested in that, but also is comfortable with solitude and uh you know uncomfortable in crowds and um you know fairly intense but not not overt not loud not you know the the biologist is much more spectrum than i am in some ways uh but her character same connection with lena or no i i didn't at all i felt very little personal identification with Lena uh I, you know when when he wrote the adultery into the series I was almost offended uh that he'd done that to this character that I love um because it just it's such an out of character thing based on the books and I understand that the translation of a character's inner issues to the screen can be very complex, you know. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I was talking about it with my spouse. I was like, you know, how else do you convey the kind of marital problems that, that they have? And he said, what marital problems? He remembered none of it. And yet I remembered uh, in the thing that stuck out to me was the, the biologist is in some ways barely human and her husband is this sociable guy who likes to go to parties goes to bars can easily talk to people but has this weird wife who won't talk to people and he loves her anyway and she's aware that he loves her anyway and but she doesn't have the capability to to summon what else she could give to this marriage and yet she loves him deeply she has emotions but how do you translate this sort of half-human, half-cucumber creature onto the screen? You know, yeah. that's, I, 
I, I'm impressed that Garland tried, you know. I, <laughs> I may disagree with his artistic choices at time, but I'm so enthusiastic about him trying to do it. It's deeply challenging. So an important question for me in terms of the novel and the movie um, okay. is how important do you think it is that the heroes are women? Do you think that there's a thematic importance or is it just cool? That's a complicated question. Um, Sorry. <laughs> no, 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 I, I understand it's, it's a thing right now uh, that is. I know an interview. Okay. So, all right. Oh, sorry. Yeah, go ahead. All right. I sort of have an answer for you, which right. is that. So Garland is working with the source material. So I can't imagine that he would ever for a moment think, uh, this character is a woman. Maybe we can get it played by a man. Might've done that 20 years ago. Um, now that, I can't imagine that he thought for a second, like, uh, could we make, maybe make this a dude? Not that it's integral to the story. I just think people are generally more woke kind of across the board. It's, you know, Vandermeer gets the credit one way or another for making her a woman. Uh, and he made 50% of his main characters women. So there's two, one's a man, one's a woman. I don't want to give him too much credit for that. You know, that's, that's the sort of thing you you're supposed to do as a grown-up adult is sort of put some representation out there. Mm. Um, I don't dwell on it too much, and I don't think it is thematically important in the book at all. I think you actually could have switched the genders in the book uh, with no problem. That being said... Okay, that's interesting. The biologist is a intense, complex, very fleshed out character who is also a woman and as someone who identifies with her deeply and is arguably a woman as well. Like, <laughs> I love having characters who are sort of off the beaten path. And um, I think I'm probably more enthusiastic about handbags than the biologist is, but it, otherwise we have a lot in common, you know? Mm -hmm. um, the one thing I... I want to get back to one of the things you talked about with uh, like the protagonist's emotional state. Right. Yes. And along with, you know, sort of moving alongside or anchoring the movie somehow. Mm -hmm. uh, I find that interesting. I feel like it was tried and sort of fell a little bit short in Annihilation. As someone but who all hasn't I read the book at all. I, I yeah. kind of recognize that immediately as like that's a screenwriter's kind of tool right there to set okay. up you know, okay. to set up Lena as you know having these 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 problems these frustrations and everything and and being completely in the dark and as the audience member you know you kind of yeah. recognize these emotions and also you're entering this this mystery into her and that's why I immediately wondered how much of it is from the book because it seemed like well if I'm going to access this kind of <clears throat> challenging material I'm going to have to make it accessible in some way so I think that maybe that might have informed why he spent so much time kind of developing the Lena character before we set off on this crazy journey with her yeah not, you know not, not it's, descending it just that that's kind of how yeah like he's got to kind of do something like that so that we can absolutely follow yeah her into it you you need some some door for the audience to walk through 
to kind of be in the story with them. And, and if the biologists were, were like, if Lena were like the biologist, this movie would be so aloof and remote and inaccessible. Um, you know, it, it certainly would have made a worse movie. Mm. That said, from the perspective of how important it is to, you know, put women into these parts, um, the only thing I have to compare it to with is Arrival, uh, which given my my rate of seeing movies, which is about two a year, uh, <laughs> Arrival I did actually happen to see, and... Amy Adams' character, I, I couldn't get enough of that character. It was so, so real, so true, like the way her hand shook. You know, she is, she's just barely holding on. And there was an aspect to that that, that just grabbed me. You know, I, I have to, you know, after I had a kid, I started having to drug myself to fall asleep because of, you know, I already suffered from like terror at night and the additional terror coming with parenthood pretty much shredded my sanity and my health. Uh, I went years without going into REM sleep, it felt like. Um, and that, that, that sense of barely holding on um, despite having some high-powered responsibility, this is a thing that women that I talk with you know in my day job or just as friends around the community this is a universal truth is that we're all just barely hanging on exhausted beyond what we could have ever comprehended and you know still managing to deliver you know bring it whatever it is mm-hmm. uh, and that was the truth of a strong female protagonist that i liked far better in arrival than in say Wonder Woman, where, you know, eh, lovely movie, but I don't feel like Wonder Woman. I feel like Amy Adams barely hanging on. I definitely felt a lot of arrival watching uh, Annihilation. I think what I was just saying about that kind of screenwriter trick that he does, where, you know, he makes this kind of emphasize uh, uh, with the, um, with Lena, definitely felt a lot in this kind of, you know, bizarre situation, definitely was tapping into that same sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, or my, even under my skin. I don't know if you saw that one. The, uh, no, I didn't. Yeah. It's a, no. they're, they're, they're all, they're all taken from science fiction literature. They're all adaptations okay. of well-known science fiction books. Um, and all have sort of this, again, this tonal adaptation more than like a straight, you know, adaptation. And that we kind of learn through these characters and kind of get into their heads a little bit more. Yeah. So now I want to ask, um, that's all great. I think, I wanted to know with this fragile character, this woman who yeah. has all these things going on and is then tasked to go into the same area that her husband came back from and returned completely changed. They, 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 they set her up with a team of women, uh, four other women. Yes. And I, at that point, I think what I responded to most strongly in the movie, and I'm wondering kind of what your take on it was, was, and why I thought it was important that they were female characters was a woman who already has all these very, very difficult to live with, difficult to like get up in the morning sort of problems going on. Now yeah. she's, now she gets teamed with these other women who have their own issues. And the movie kind of becomes about, you know, 
these women having their own separate problems and having to somehow come together and act as a team yeah and kind of self-defeating towards each other and not trusting each yeah. other that's what i kind of thought was absolutely how'd you respond to that it's not an artistic choice i would have made mm-hmm. um if i were in charge of it um because in my remembrance uh area x itself you know they're in the books they're the 12th expedition the reason that it's all women is that they have not tried that combination before and they're basically you know throwing darts blind to try to control or change variables that they haven't tried before because um all the previous expeditions have been failures and and grand horrifying failures they they show you that in the movie, though they don't say that there have been 12. Um, they are not allowed to bring weapons on this expedition, but they do have one assault rifle because the last, I think the last three or four expeditions, uh, they managed not to turn on each other and murder each other. Um, so, you know, he, he sort of remembers things, but, you know, why you would send five women who are also as he puts it damaged goods in that with guns that seems like madness that doesn't make any sense to me from the very scientific slash bureaucratic uh setup that you do get into in in the later books um they are generally trying to do some some amount of proper scientific uh exploration of this place and we should just uh to probably point out for anyone i mean if you haven't seen the movie you should probably stop listening we should just not worry about spoilers whatsoever but um what we're talking about specifically is uh this meteor that's landed and affected the area around it which in the movie they call the shimmer i know area x is the name of the whole area in the books uh but -hmm. it's called the shimmer and it has changed the environment uh, it has mutated the animals and changed the plant life and the entire uh, economy, the, the ecostructure of this, of this area has completely been changed and the, the DNA is being manipulated by whatever this force is and it's slowly expanding. So the reason that they want to go into this area is to find out what's causing it. Can they stop it? Is it going to destroy the entire world? Uh, and that's yeah. what we're talking about. And, uh, you know, the, the, the shimmer in the movie yeah. this area that they go into is where i kind of immediately was kind of ah, okay i got you girl and i see what you're going for here because it reminded me a lot of tarkovsky's movie stalker uh which i don't know if you've seen or, or read the book by the um uh Stragosky brothers roadside oh, you could you know you can generally assume no i haven't seen the movie but i haven't read the book either and if if it's good i clearly need to go read it yeah absolutely um, it's great and the movie is fantastic too in that movie you've got again okay. it's interesting you've got characters named by their profession they're called the stalker the writer and the professor and they go into this area called the zone uh during to a place called the is Room. this the same guy this is the same guy that did dead mountaineers in that's right. The same. Yes, those are the writers, the Stragosky yes. brothers. Yes. Yeah, okay. Exactly. Um, okay. Yes. Yeah. No. Uh, I actually. Yeah. That's. It's on my to read in in this indefinite future list. It's great, and I think that you know Garland definitely. This is where he kind of accesses that 
um, I would I would say Tarkovskian. A lot of people would say Kubrickian. You know, the two thousand one okay. um, obliqueness. You know, was, that like that yes, they're going into this unknown thing that I think human minds can't even grasp. You know, so all we're going to yes. get is representations of these things. Um, mm-hmm. So from that that angle, I kind of enjoyed you know seeing how he was going to present this area. There's a lot of build up, obviously, to what it's going to be like. And again, these characters all have desires or things that they need to get over that they kind of, some of them find answers and some of them, uh, you know, are destroyed by the fact that they can't get over these hangups that they have. Uh, Very similar again to, to Stalker and that sort of uh, thing. So what did you think of the, of Alex Garland's portrayal of the Shimmer or the Area X from the books? I, I understand what he was trying to do with it. You know, it, it differs from the books uh, in that I also sort of remembered Area X or the Shimmer in the movie as being beautiful, but I did not remember it in the way that Garland either remembered it or chose to portray it. I remembered it as being beautiful from the biologist's perspective. And what is beautiful to a person who loves uh, slimes and funguses and or fungi, if you want to be super um, serious about that, you know, all of these natural things are, are kind of horrible. Um, he, gets, he gets this moment of the biologist's view of thing where the the large reptile, which is what it's called in the books, it never really gets a name, comes out of the water and you see that it has rows of shark's teeth. And, you know, Portman's can't wait to get her hands uh, inside the mouth to look at those teeth. And that's that's the beauty that uh, I remembered from the books. You know, with what I would have done for a portrayal of the Shimmer or Area X is not beautiful deer with petals bounding through rainbows because that is not interesting to a biologist mm. uh, but a much more natural looking sort of subtle changes to the environment that was scattered with corpses there are many references to rib cages and failed animals and the, the whole premise of it is that you have this slippery DNA that's rapidly mutating everything in the area, combining and recombining at a fantastic rate. Uh, But in that process, there are going to be failures, massive quantities of failures. He sort of touches on it with the bear, who is this, in every scene, is kind of a bloody mess. Um, That's the closest he gets, along with the alligator, to portraying the anguish as Area X is going through these changes. What I remember is that beauty and anguish were very much interleaved in the books. And that's, even in the very first chapter, when I went back to reassure myself that my memory was not faulty, there is a moment where it's a boar in the book, not a bear. It's a wild boar. Oh, that's who... interesting because I immediately thought of the boar god from Princess Mononoke when I saw that bear. You know, okay. kind of like yeah. dripping corruption and everything like that, and just kind of not a bad animal, but just sort of like it clearly in pain and confused. Yes. And yes, in pain, confused. Yeah. 
So oh. I, I thought that was like a direct homage. Now that you said it's a bore, I, I feel like Jeff Vandermeer must have seen Mononoke at some point and made like a specific reference to that because that is exactly what I thought of when I saw the That's very possible. The scene with the boar in the opening chapter was what drew me in because the biologist is watching a a charging boar coming down the path at them. It's not an alligator, it's a boar. But the boar is running against its will. It's got, its head is dragged to the side. It's screaming. It looks like there's an invisible halter on it. Uh, and, you know, its eyes are crazed as if there's this invisible rider spurring it on. And the, the biologist, of course, immediately thinks, you know, a parasite, or, you know, rabies, something like that, a biological origin that is just riding this thing into a, a place of pain and anguish and tearing it down the path towards them. And it doesn't end up attacking them. It just, it veers off at the last second because it's sort of vying for control with whatever's controlling it. Hmm. Uh, but this, the, the annihilation portrayal was very different from what I imagined. You know, the wild boar is the scene setting moment that pulls in the biologist, pulls in the reader. Uh, you know something has gone horribly wrong and that this DNA that is colonizing the territory uh, it ha it has no compassion for the creatures that it's turning, mm -hmm. um, and I I would have made that into a an overarching visual. There are not a lot of successes in the area X of the books. Um, mm. You know, I, I got a real kind of like Celtic music Renfair vibe from the Shimmer that just <laughs> you know kind of didn't sit well with me. You know, as, as really? someone who okay. yeah. who you know, I think I think there's tremendous beauty to be found in like the edge of a mud puddle. You know, you, you don't have to go with um, pedal deer. Though interestingly, uh, two days before I went to see that movie, uh, I was browsing the women's art Twitter feed, which, if you haven't seen it, is a f just fantastic and very well populated feed of women's art from around the world. It just pictures of it from every walk of life, every culture, recent, not recent. And it had a picture of Ellen Jewett's work, a petal deer identical to what was in the movie, uh, except that the it, it was all white and its neck was crooked backed at like this very awkward, uncomfortable looking angle. And Jewett does these surreal animal mashups uh, that if you just Google her name, just go to Google images, you will see a better representation of the mutations that I would have expected to see in Area X than what actually made it in there. I thought the bear was great. Um, I had no problems with the bear. It was the screaming, uh, you know, the, the way the bear talked. Mm -hmm. That was creepy as shit. That was an interesting sort of uh, angle on that, where he kills one of the women, and yeah. then they theorize that he that he somehow absorbed part of her yeah. in the in the killing of her. And then when he shouts, when when he, he they hear him shout out "Help me!" in her voice, yeah, it turns out to be the bear, and his screams sound like her screaming. Yep. That's definitely a very creepy idea. Yeah, and uh, you know that that doesn't that's not far off from what the book does mm -hmm. uh, because there's an animal that screams in the night with the voice of a person. 
uh, and it it kind of keeps the biologist company night after night she hears these screams and and what Vandermeer does that Garland can't do because he's in the movie format is that Vandermeer builds these small repeated episodes of creepiness um, at, at a very unhurried pace. Um, the movie felt, I'm sure, <laughs> I'm sure to most people it felt very slow. I found that it was very fast compared to the books. Mm. Oh, um, of course, yeah. You know, it basically everyone loses their mind very nearly the moment they're in there. Uh, I was curious to hear if the animals were in the books and how much of a threat they presented to the characters, because I think that was another sort of thing that uh, Garland was doing to kind of make it more accessible to people was to have these very concrete, you know, monsters yeah. in, in the book that can attack people. Um, oh, yeah. So something I liked about it, because what Josie, the, the physicist played by Tessa Thompson, uh, hypothesizes is that it's um, the area is acting as a genetic prism, right? Distorting and refracting yes. the DNA of the organisms within it. Um, I really like that opening shot before we go into that area at all. When uh, the husband returns and they're sitting at the table together, they hold hands and you see it through the glass. Through the glass. And yep. You get that kind of prism there, that kind of refraction there of their hands. It's kind of a nice kind of, you know, uh, sets you up for that sort of theme going on. Plus yep. his, his blood starts dripping into the water and you kind of understand yep. how it's going to become this biological horror movie almost at this point. Um, oh, sure. Yeah. You know, little moments of, of horror like that are, are peppered throughout the books. But I think my negative reaction to leaning on the danger in terms of there being animals and everything. And I know part of it is just like, Hey, when you're in the, the Florida swamps. Yeah. There are things that can kill you. It's just how it happens. Like nature can kill you. It's beautiful, but it can kill you. Um, is that I thought like, Oh, this is like an eco predator, isn't it? Like, you know, this armed team goes into this area and they're picked off one by one. I felt kind of bad thinking that until I, I saw that uh, Oliver Isaacs called it girl, girl predator. So I felt like, yeah. well, I wouldn't call it that. Come on, dude. Um, <laughs> Um, yeah, I found a quote too from uh, Garland. I can pull it up real quick. Oh, absolutely. What he says uh, in reference to that is okay. Here it is. Uh, the top line narrative can satisfy the people who are not interested in the metaphorical side. <laughs> and I guess that's sort of a balance that a lot of movie makers have to make. <laughs> you oh, know? I. I do not envy them. Um, yeah. You know, that you're, you have a lot of different audiences you want to fulfill. You, you can't just make the movie you want to make necessarily. Uh, that top line narrative, I don't know. I'm interested to hear whether or not people liked it. It seems sort of, in terms of reviews, I, I read like, just I just pulled it up on Google to just look at the summaries of the reviews. I didn't want to read any of them. I didn't want it spoiled for me either before or after. I will say that people walked out of the theater when we were there. Really? Um, yeah, including 10 minutes before it ended. Some people were just like, well, I'm done, and just grabbed their stuff and walked out. Hmm. Uh, it was not a small number of walkouts. Um, it was packed, and there were people who didn't like it enough to leave. 
And I'm wondering if they were reacting more to the top line narrative or to the metaf uh, metaphorical. I, honestly, I, I certainly think that if you had read the books, if you appreciate books that are as uh, unwilling to give you a hand in appreciating them as the Vandermeer books, then you're already a little bit of a sucker for punishment. You're going to sit through the entirety of Annihilation, the movie. I, I'm sorry, the tonal interpretation, is that what it was? Mm -hmm. um, you know, you want to see, I think you want that same sort of, this is a very interesting experience. You're not going there looking for a good or a bad movie. You're going there to see it interpreted. Yeah. And, you know, um, I, it makes almost everyone who's already a fan of the books an amateur auteur over this particular movie. Yeah, I've even um, read reviews that kind of preface by saying, hey, fans of the book, the tunnel's not in there, you know? Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Don't go in expecting that mind-blowing part from the book. <laughs> you know? Yep. Yeah, it's been mashed up with the lighthouse. The lighthouse is sort of not quite the same. I, you know, I really, I don't want to give you any spoilers on the books in the hopes that I can still convince you to read them. Um, I definitely would but, like them. Yeah. yeah, it's, it's, very worthwhile it's you know it's it's one of the slowest builds uh of any series that i've ever read and he paces it very differently but i loved both the main characters in book one and book two and of course a lots lots of characters are reprised in book three um people hate book two almost universally i thought it was the best of them really huh um, for for very very different reasons than everyone else I've spoken to, I don't want to say too much about it. But um, you know, Annihilation is kind of the action piece. It's you know that's where you get Area X. Most of the second book is not even in Area X. It's in an unremarkable government building in a guy who in the inside the head of a guy who's kind of underqualified for his job, but he's he kind of seems like a white dude who sort of came by this job. I don't actually know if he is, but he's it's the scene inside the head of management and seeing that it's hollow mm -hmm. is very satisfying for me, at least, you know, based on my day job, getting to see uh, like the guy who is the new director of uh, the agency just taken apart um you know he's autopsy autopsied alive uh in the second book and you know you kind of feel a little bad for him but you know there are these multiple spider webs that are slowly closing around you as a reader uh i loved it i thought it was genius um absolutely my one of my favorite books ever it's it's interesting to hear because again since i knew that they were written close together i'm surprised that they would be that different but that's interesting i definitely want to get yeah. into those so the women have breaking down inside of the shimmer was yes you brought up as it seemed to you like they were they kind of broke apart a little rapidly once they were in there and again i guess i yeah ask, you know was that do you think that was maybe trying to say something about how I don't know, women can't work together or that there's some maybe not so sexist, maybe something more like um, their issues just may, I mean, they, they do get further, I think, than everyone else or that they have one survivor at least at the end of it. I won't say who, 
but well, why, yeah. why, why won't I say who they say at the very beginning of the movie? <laughs> well, yes. Um, well, that's a good point. And I wonder how much of it is because she is colonized by the ideas, uh, the weird time movement, you know, they've lost three days right at the very beginning. And in the books, they say right away that it starts to affect you that, uh, you know, no matter who they send into area X, they go mad, they murder each other. You know, none of this is secret. Um, this is not spoiler information that, mm -hmm. uh, the shimmer makes you crazy. So when the shimmer has made her crazy and she comes out and she's telling this story, is she keeping some of it back? Is she blaming the other women? You know, is she a reliable narrator? You know, that's a thing people are playing with a lot these days. Is that uh, in the book? I know that they're through her journal entries, right? The, the first annihilation. Do you get that sense of the unreliable uh, narrator? She actually, she doesn't even trust her own narration, even from the very beginning, um, because she already knows that she's been affected by area X very shortly. I, I think within two days after being able to, after waking up, you know, they're under hypnosis. There's a whole hypnosis thing that's super weird in the book, but makes sense. He's a talented writer. He makes it work. It would never work on the screen. Um, but she wakes up and, and she's trying to be objective, but she says there is no way to be. There's, you know, there are a couple beautiful passages. I started highlighting passages in the first chapter and then realized I was just highlighting every line. You know, he's a, he's a great writer and uh, very little is wasted. Um, mm -hmm. So everything is sort of pregnant with layers and intention and foreshadowing. Um, so I don't know. You know, it, it seems like the women around her are going crazy right away, but is she blaming them for going crazy? Is that her reasoning for how she got out alive? Uh, I don't and know. Obviously, it's, it's hard to keep that kind of thing ambiguous in a, in a film narrative because you're it is. supposedly seeing everything that's happening on screen and not supposed to be questioning it as it's happening. Yeah. Was there yeah. Any, yeah. Was any chance that Vandermeer's book, do you think that someone else could adapt it into a movie differently and still make it work if they, what, if they weren't going to use Garland's ideas? I ask this because Garland also adapted one of my favorite books, which was uh, Kazuo Ishigo's Never Let Me Go, another science fiction book. Okay. Um, it's a, I saw the movie first and did not care for it that much. I thought it was too silly. And then when I read the books, I was like, okay. when I read the book was like, oh, I am totally responding to these themes and this prose in a way that I wasn't to the film. And it's one of those books that you feel like maybe this should not have been made into a movie at all. Would there be a correct way well, okay, to so, adapt Annihilation? Yeah, I don't know that Garland did make it work. Um, right. It's a book that could be adapted many different ways. You know, I almost laughed out loud the first time they run into the, the vine of white flowers. I was like, this is so dumb looking. It looks like they went to Michael's and bought cut rate fake flowers and then forced the actors to pretend they were real. Um, it just, you know, all of the flowers were, were identifiably like hothouse flower species 
that would never have occurred in the surrounding swamp area. It's not that, that they took a bunch of existing flowers and mashed them up together into one uh, species living, like living as one on this vine. They took flowers that would never have occurred in that ecosystem to begin with right. and put them in there looking like uh, greenhouse flowers or you know, lupines from, um, you know, a meadow ecology. Uh, I don't know, maybe they were larkspurs. I'm, I'm not actually sure exactly what they were, but they were clearly not swampland flowers. <laughs> They're in swampland and they are not, they are encountering very silly looking flowers. Yeah. Um, you know, that, that's, that's one of many artistic choices that he makes that I would, like to have seen another what another filmmaker might have chosen and of course you have to show the biology weirdness of the space because in the book you can't see it you know there's nothing visually different apart from uh corpses of animals that don't make sense um but you know how does an average human look at a corpse of an animal and think hmm something's off there that's a biologist's reaction not not an audience reaction. Right. Uh, so yeah, I, I think another filmmaker might have done a more restrained job. I don't know, do other people think that it was restrained or that it was, you know, very out there? I mean, he, he did kind of a go big or go home approach to it. He did. He kind of went all in. I feel like people who are responding to this super positively, people who are calling it a masterpiece, really I think are responding to like his audacity more than anything like his yes. willingness to be to kind of go kind of nuts and I think that all kind of comes down to whether or not you like what happens at the lighthouse or not uh I assume that a lot of that is mostly garlic yeah since the lighthouse yeah. is not technically from the book and uh um so like if you're like mad that green man shows up you know and starts yeah. imitating her um, yeah or the yeah. grenade or uh, the swirling dna that eats her blood you know um that was that was easily the the most authentic thing yeah. uh that he put in there was you know a shot of the 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 dna sort of colonizing them mm-hmm. um colonization is a big theme of the book and he takes a different approach to it uh, a thing that occurs to me, and this is from this is from the musician background much more than the than any other background, is um, you know in in jumping seriously feet first back into music as an adult, I've spent a lot of more time studying interpretation, performance, uh, you know what what a performer brings to a piece. And a, and a movie is not exactly a performance. Uh, a little bit it is because you don't have freedom to go back and change everything. Sometimes it just has to stand. But sometimes a, a wrong note played with confidence and passion is very nearly as good as a right note. You can't string a whole bunch of them together, but you know, if you have enough technical facility and, and background and, and your interpretation is thematically good, uh, you can hit a wrong note and, and it's fine. You know, it's, 
it's not going to sound great on a recording, but it sounds great in a performance. I just, I just heard a performance riddled with wrong notes uh, just Sunday, you know, a woman playing a Chopin piece, but she just, she was all in. She was so all in for this performance. And I had chills, even though I know the piece very well, I heard the wrong notes. There were, there was an above average number of them, but the performance was, was very garland, you know, it was very garland in annihilation. Makes me I don't know. The, what do you think? Makes me think of the Lisa Simpson quote where she's listening to the woman play violin and says, you have to listen to the notes she's not playing. And <laughs> says, I could do that at home. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, it's the difference between, uh, you know, when you, when you really, get to the point that like your ear is attuned to whether a technical misstep matters or not. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't, you know, I have no movie background at all. I don't know how much of this was technical missteps. Yeah. No, um, I, and I, when it, I respond to it totally thinking as, you know, a movie viewer that I'm constantly having to deal with people saying to me, you know, a movie needs to be perfect or a movie needs to, you know, you can tell a movie's quality by if they did everything correctly and me responding. Oh well, God. No, that's absolutely wrong. Like wrong. No. Yeah. Important, you know, depending on the film and it's such a, a narrow minded kind of look at any kind of artwork to think that, you know, oh, absolutely. everything has to be absolutely just so for it to work. Um, and I'd like, to yeah, give, the- I'd like to give Garland, you know, that's, that credit, you know, <laughs> yes. like, so like him the, yes. uh, the benefit of the doubt on that. Um, and I, yeah, I don't know how much of it was if, if he was going for a tonal adaptation or something more guttural, something that was more instinctive in mm-hmm. reading the book and then piling what he thought of it onto the screen. And it seems to be his sort of, you know, the, the sort of his MO, I think in general. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I've seen two movies by him, and they both kind of follow uh, a, a clear MO, even with just two data points. He's not afraid to show the rubber suit behind the horror kind of mm. approach to things. He's never really leaving stuff up to your imagination. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I applaud him for that because I, I think that's often used as a cop out. You know, it's yes, yes. That's that. that, that again, I don't see that many movies, but yeah, no, no. I think that would be the defense. Um, and I think you know when I when I think about science fiction movies specifically, right? Yeah. There was a uh, the biggest complaint is that like a science science fiction does not necessarily need to be mean needs to be an action film, right? When you think about like Minority Report or Limitless or Source Code. Prometheus, Tomorrowland, whatever, all these films that they, you know, have to, there's, there's something outside of the norm going on in those films, but really it's just a shoot 'em up kind of movie, right? They have to kind of okay. build the audience that way. And I feel like the new trend with movies like Arrival or Under My Skin or even the new yeah. Blade Runner movie um, and Annihilation is this sort of self, very self-serious literary abstract almost ambiguous image heavy deadpan sort of approach to it which is like kind of you know accept it or go home sort of strategy here so people responding to that lighthouse ending i think are going to be like am i willing to accept that have i am am i all in 
on this approach? Yeah. You know, am I all in on this idea? And again, we've talked about how Garland kind of with Annihilation kind of hedges his bets a little bit with having the monsters and the, the drama, uh, this top line narrative. He does kind of put some action into it. But at the end, it's definitely, you know, all right, everybody sit down and watch my Jupiter and Beyond, you know, light show. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, that that was so so like the little light show thing when she walks into the bottom of the lighthouse. Uh, I loved it. I mm-hmm. mean, as as a person who has who loved in the books these sort of strange experiences that the biologist has with things that are they're beyond the edge of of current human understanding i mean let's bring that from sci-fi books to sci-fi movies you know the my thought while i was watching that is so this is what it was like to see 2001 for the first time in history when it was released Mm -hmm. you know this this grand view of things that you are not meant to understand you know uh I loved that scene. I was super weirded out by um, the green Terminator who imitates her. (laughs) But at at that point, you know, Garland kind of had me and I was like, I'm willing to roll with this. Uh, You know, it's, it's a little weird. I don't know whether to laugh or be scared or like, I'm not, I'm not sure what my emotional cue is here. Yeah. But I'm ready to let it just be its thing. You know, this is the artist at work. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, And that said, I I still can't say whether or not Annihilation was a good movie. I don't know. I mean, it's, it was too complex of an artistic experience for me to put down on paper, you know, a simple reaction to it. Obviously. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You know, it's, and that's, I find that to be a valuable experience in movies. Um, and I don't see that many. So I kind of like to get some real payoff. Uh, that said, you know, I'm perfectly happy to go see a movie like Jumanji and just, you know, laugh for two straight hours. You know, it doesn't need to be super complicated. It can be a movie on rails with no depth whatsoever. I'm, I'm happy with that too, but uh, I've, I don't want to say I really liked it. I really found the experience worthwhile. What do you think about, I guess they're calling the film's box office not fantastic. What do you think that that means? Do you think that, uh, what do you think about the film did not appeal to audiences, at least in the marketing, bringing people in? Were they too oblique about what this was going to be about, you think? Were they too guarded? Um I can't imagine why you would see it if you hadn't read the books. And, mm. and of course, that's, I can imagine why you specifically, John, would see it. You know, you love movies, you're fascinated by them. Uh, you know, there's a, an artistic side to it. Box office-wise, interestingly, the teenagers who I was sort of eavesdropping on as they came out of the theater were fascinated by it. I mean, they were chattering away about like what it meant. You know, these were people who reminded me of myself, who was like, you know, my brain was hungry for something oblique and serious and maybe, you know, maybe a 
a little, what did you say? Not self-centered, but self-serious. Yeah. Um, Yeah. You know, I think there's, there's a market for that. It's just kind of hard to, to pull it together um, and hit the high points for people who aren't hungry for that, who just want a little easy entertainment and don't want to have to work for it, you know? And it's, do you think that you the know, movies are I, responding to this change in science fiction literature? Yeah, I think stories, so. Stories, better prose, more about the the artwork of writing than worrying about the dynamics of the story and things like that. Uh, I am not one to speak to trends. I I have no idea. <laughs> um, can I relay a little anecdote about uh, Arrival? So. I was 45 minutes into Arrival before I realized I was not watching Arrival. I was watching The Arrivals, which was the Charlie Sheen movie from, I don't know, 20 years ago. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> and and I had no idea. I was sitting there watching it with my daughter, and I was like, okay, so so it's about a lady scientist. The Arrivals has a lady scientist in it. Yeah. Uh, all I knew about it was it had Amy Adams, who was supposed to be really good. It was a sci-fi movie. And I am so tuned out of, of zeitgeist and trends and whatnot that, like, I'm watching this. I'm like, oh, man, they're, they're getting Charlie Sheen's career going again. Oh, that's great. He looks so young. <laughs> like, it wasn't like I realized this in five minutes. It took me until I saw the aliens with the backwards knees to be like, oh, Oh shit! I actually I remember the backwards knees things. I saw this when it came out, um, and you know I, I'm telling this to my spouse who is who's laughing at me so hard he can't breathe, and he's like, "Didn't you figure it out when it wasn't Amy Adams?" I was like, "Who the who the hell is Amy <laughs> Adams? I don't know who Amy Adams is." Uh, I mean, I thought maybe I I got it wrong and it was Jane Lynch. It wasn't Jane Lynch either. Um, you know, but it looked kind of like her. It was a lady. She was blonde. You know, that this know, is by I way of illustrating that. I want to say it's Natasha Kinski, but I'm thinking of Terminal Velocity, but go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> you probably know who it is. Given <laughs> 10 minutes, you'll come up with the name of the actress. Uh, but, you know, she's like a, a great scientist. She dies. I don't know. I don't want to spoil a movie that's probably 20 years old, but yeah, she dies. Um, when it comes to this trend, if it's a trend, I hope it continues because uh, unfortunately it means, you know, there's, there's going to be a lot more movies sort of fragmenting into uh, little niches of people who've read the books and have convinced their friends to see it and, and teenagers with some hunger for, um, you know, cinematic experiences that are heavily symbolic. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I think it would be great. Uh, And I think, the ability to, of people to talk to each other uh, on the internets and recommend things in, you know, for very specific reasons will kind of help movies like this. I haven't seen anything in this long list of self-serious movies, but I'm going to go out and get them all um, sometime within the next two years and, and watch them all. <laughs> when you um, do, we want to hear back from you on what you thought about <laughs> Yeah, if, if you hear back from me uh, when I watch a sci-fi movie, it, it'll be a yearly thing, um, unfortunately. <laughs> the, the one that I re- couldn't recommend more that I think is the best uh, representation of them, and I think that 
at its best, this movie reminded me of was uh, Lucille, head uh, of Hallowitz, and I always butcher her last name, but the movie Evolution. Okay, is- so I watched it. Oh, did you watch it? Um, I watched it <laughs> last night. I, um, it was amazing. I mean, it is an amazing movie in ways, in a way in which I was uncomfortable in every scene. And the only scenes that let me off the hook are the underwater scenes of, uh, you know, flora and fauna kind of just waving along with no music. I was like, finally, yeah, 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 these, these, to me, it was like, that was capturing the experience of a, of a biologist entranced by the natural world. Mm -hmm. That movie made me very uncomfortable uh in (laughs) in a way that uh, in the same way that ex machina made me very uncomfortable and i do not normally seek this out in movies um you know if i have a chance like i kind of fall asleep listening to mystery science theater you know uh discomfort in art is not like high on my list i don't watch horror movies evolution was a great movie though you know i'm i'm still I will be trying to work out, you know, the symbolism, the story, the, you know, the meanings of various characters for quite a while. Um, it was a fantastic sci-fi movie. I'm so glad you got a chance to check it out. Um, yeah. Yeah, I really love it. And certainly scenes in, in Annihilation, like when they cut open the guy and he has the moving insides, you know, things like yeah. that. <laughs> Made me think of those images, some of the amazing imagery from Evolution quite a bit. Oh, yeah, it was, uh, as I was watching it, I was thinking about the the way that movie was put together showed such finesse at, you know, knowing the exact right length for the scene, far more so than Annihilation in some ways. Um, I mean, I I don't know what goes in to making a movie feel, you know, powerful and fluid and incisive and and strong, uh, you know, as a performance. But whatever the technical f- things are that go into that were just spot on. Um, it was incredible, really. As an art piece, it was incredible. It is incredible. I'm gonna I was have to very get you a, disturbed. <laughs> I'm going to have to get you a copy of her first film, Innocence. She's only made two films over like the last 20 years, but they're both really incredible. So that one's not as like uh, easy to find, but I'll have to get one to you somehow. So let's let's wrap up. Um, okay. If this trend continues, let me ask you, is there a work that you would love to see translated onto the screen? What else would excite you as much as going to see Annihilation? Um. Malazan, maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not sure. You know, Malazan is fantasy, not sci-fi, but it's, you know, it has um, the underpinnings of an anthropologist to kind of give it some some real heft. I don't know. You know, to be honest, I, I read Annihilation 
with kind of a self-satisfied, well, here's one series that will stay sacred because nobody will ever make this into a movie. And then, of course, somebody went and made it into a movie. I would have thought it was the hardest to adapt book I had read in a long time. Um, maybe Ancillary Justice, um, Ancillary Mercy, you know, that, that series. I don't know be... who's the author on that one. Uh, Anne Leckie. Okay. And it was, so it was her first novel. And it's the story of a woman who is a spaceship. Uh, she is, the, the reason it's called Ancillary is that you have these, this sort of, not even alternate universe. It's definitely this very, very strange universe where they have these huge living ships. They're AIs, but they are not evil AI. They're not HAL. They're these tremendous empaths who um, extend their consciousness into corpse soldiers, who they call their ancillaries. And as the book opens, uh, the ship has been murdered, and one ancillary containing this fragment of the ship has escaped and is basically on a revenge path. Now, it is not quite that linear. It's a somewhat nonlinear, very experimental fiction book that I think would be tough to adapt into a movie. But, you know, if Garland wants to take a shot at it, he, you know, he'd go big or go home. So mm -hmm. I'd go see it. I don't know. I don't know who I would pick, you know. I, again, I'm I'm not even totally sure what a director does, to be honest. So <laughs> please don't, please don't quiz me on on anything like this. But yeah, there's some, there's definitely some sci-fi that uh, I'd love to throw at people as a challenge to make into a movie. Uh, that would be a series. Oh, good lord! The uh, the other one would be um, Raven Stratagem. Uh, Dang it! Now I'm I'm sort of forgetting. It's a series by Yoon Ha Lee, mm -hmm. um, and within the first, you know, it sort of has an alternate system of physics and time, so it's very hard to follow early on. Uh, I don't even I'm not even totally certain that the characters in it are humans or even proto-humans, but it's it's interesting. It would make a very interesting um movie you know if you want some space opera yeah yeah boy that would be bizarre man i i could just talk to you for another hour just getting book recommendations from you yes I'm, no, I'm sorry i no, i can yeah, go off yeah. on on any number of things maybe yeah maybe ancillary you, uh, justice justice would be my number one maybe we can um, convince you on twitter to like give us a little book list you know of like great like recent science fiction books to to check out i would think i people would be interested absolutely sure. um but Amanda, thank you so much for doing this for us. Um, I'm fascinated to hear, you know, about the book, about your uh, reactions to the film. I will definitely read the Southern Reach trilogy soon so I can kind of see, you know, how it stacks up next to, to each other. Um, but yes. you're at, on Twitter, you're at Nashura, correct? That is correct, yeah. Yeah, so if people are looking to find you, have any questions or anything? Um, Absolutely. Thank yeah. You, thank you so much for doing this, everyone. Thank you for listening. Um, that's uh, go out and see Annihilation. It's out now. Uh, read the yeah. book. Yeah. And um, yeah. Any parting thoughts on on the, at all on the movie? 
you know, what's um, the worst thing about the movie? Just real quick. What's the one thing that you could have done with that? The line about damaged goods. Mm, uh, okay. I, that I had a very negative reaction to that. I was like, you know, you're working so hard to create this lady a team. And then you throw that line in to kind of make it like they're also overcoming adversity. I was like, you know, don't work that hard, you know, show some finesse. Um, that line I would have just removed from the movie. Yeah. That whole scene, that whole exposition scene where he's just kind of, just kind of listing all the faults of of the members of the group felt really lazy. I thought really kind of just dump right there. Could have done without that. I totally agree. Yeah. Well, you know, thank you for, for having me on and letting me talk about this movie because, you know, people's eyes do start to glaze over when I get way too excited about some of these topics. <laughs> um, you know, if we had another hour, I'd love to go into transitional ecology specifics with regards to the book. But luckily for you, we don't have another hour. Um, <laughs> you know, I'll find somebody else to talk about permaculture and, and you know, weird plant morphologies and whatnot and words people uh, who saw the movie this, wouldn't recognize. you know <laughs> it, it it's a fascinating story you know yeah 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 possibly yeah okay all right thank you amanda everybody well thank you again i really appreciate it uh, of course we have to have you on again when we have another like high-minded science fiction movie come out who knows when that'll be but uh probably won't <laughs> be you know anytime in the next few months since the this one didn't didn't light them up at the box office uh everyone thanks for listening we'll have a brand new uh, episode next month brand new movie new guest uh everyone have a great time thank you very much